0: I'm Matthew Curtis, and welcome to this special edition of the Pellicle Podcast. Today's episode was recorded back in February at Cloudwater's Friends and Family and Beer Festival. It's hard to believe that such a brilliant event actually happened in 2020, but we're so glad it did. And we'll remember that weekend fondly for a long time to come. Huge thanks again to Paul, Doreen and Connor at Cloudwater for inviting Johnny and I up to host these talks at the festival. In this episode, I chat to Alex Troncoso of Lost and Grounded in Bristol and Katie Peach from White Frontier in Switzerland as we get into conversation about what makes lager so universally appealing and contemplate why its popularity has been steadily growing among craft beer consumers who typically lean towards American hops, complex sours and delectably big stouts. Huge thanks again to our Patreon subscribers for making this podcast possible including Cloudwater, who are one of our Pro-Tier subscribers. If you're able to support Pellicle with a monthly donation, please head to patreon.com forward slash pellicle mag. And now, it's on with the show. Alex, a bit of cool cats for you? Alex, do you want to tell us about this beer that I'm pouring, Cool Cats? Grab the grab the mic and just quickly tell people about this lovely uh, lager.
1: Oh. Uh, that one. Yeah. Yep. Uh, so, that's, so that's all the Cool Cats. So um, there you go. As a brewery, we, we mainly make Keller Pills. About 70% of our production is Keller Pills. But every so often we make this, which is all the Cool Cats, which was a um, a beer that I started out as a bit of a joke. And... Um, it it's kind of a bit tongue-in-cheek because, like, we actually don't make any kind of rock star styles, really, as a nor- brewery normally. It's all just kind of, like, really daggy stuff. So um, we decided to make all the cool cats and to be like, oh, yeah, we're really cool. And um, so we actually made that. But uh, and all the cats on the label are actually all of our team's cats. So some of our cats that are, like passed away, some that our cats that came from Australia with us, and um, all sorts, and our graphic designer just cut them all out and sort of put them on the, on the label. <laughs> so, but this is um, this is beer in its most, like, simplest form. So, yeah, yeah there's the label there. So um, it's literally just Pilsner malt. And for this one, we use 100% Bamberger malt. Um, normally, as a brewery, we use about... Um, it's a blend of Dingamint and Bamberger, so we use two different Pilsner malts from um, the continent. Uh, but this is just... Um, Bamberger malt, and in the brew house, we have a lactic acid propagation plant, so we use that for all the beers that we make, and uh, so it gets a little dose of lactic acid plant in it, and then it's just two old-fashioned hops, just pearly and middle fruit, and um, some uh, lager yeast, and some thyme, and then the ingredients on the label is uh, love, so a bit of love.
0: Oh, well, (laughs) cheers to that. Cheers. Cheers. (laughs) Cheers, everyone, and thank you. It's right at the start of this first session of Friends and Family and Beer and thank you for taking the time out to come and listen to us talk about lovely lager. <laughs> my name is Matthew Curtis, I'm a beer writer and uh, one of the co-founders of Pellicle magazine, as it says in my t-shirt and our little banner is hanging behind you there. Um... Uh, We've been invited by Cloudwater to talk about beer styles. We're talking about one beer style every session. This one's about lager. Um, Tomorrow, uh, we've got Johnny Hamilton, my co-founder, talking about um, hybrid ferments, which is beer and cider and beer and wine hybrids. And then um, that's in the evening session. In the afternoon session, I'm talking to Paul Wood from JW Lees and Doug O'Dell from the legendary O'Dell Brewing about uh, the resurgence of bitter and mild, a wonderful thing. So really happy to be here. Um, and I'm really excited to be joined today by Alex Troncoso from Lost and Grounded and Katie Peach from White Frontier in Switzerland. Thank you for joining me, guys. Um, and I've just prepared for this by nipping to Albert Schloss down the road for two pints of Pilsner Equel and a very large currywurst. which <laughs> I ate very quickly? Um, so, um, yeah, I, I've gone through my lagering process ahead of this talk on lager and before i get into the questions i want to just talk a little bit about lager because lager is is universal it's um, it's the most widely consumed beer style in the world and yet if you think about lager and craft beer it's been stigmatized it's labeled with terms like like fizzy yellow and tasteless now however People within craft beer are turning towards lager and thinking, ah, oh, these are actually delicious. They're looking at classic styles like pilsner and hellers from areas such as Franconia, Bavaria, Bohemia, um, New Zealand pilsners. In the US, they're making pilsners. Uh, Switzerland and Bristol, they're making fantastic lager beers. And I'm curious to dig into why we are turning back to lager and going, oh, yeah, I just want to like, drink this delicious beer. Um, so let's find out why. Lager is so delicious. Katie, um, why do you think there's been this, this uh, fondness developed towards lager within the craft beer community? Where do you think that comes from?
2: I would say, well, for me personally, so starting out as a home brewer, you didn't brew lager because you could get it anywhere. Mm. It was, it's industrially, it's everywhere. And it's cheap, and it's, like you said, yellow and fizzy in America. And so then you start jumping into all these other styles like IPAs and trying to master everything else. And when you do all that and kind of max out on all the extremes like IBUs and juice and sour, all the everything extreme, then you come back to something that's completely drinkable. Mm -hmm. And now I'm at a point in my career where I want to sit down with something. I don't want to think about the next beer to order. I want to just have the same thing. Mm -hmm. And so for me now, it's more of a process thing, dialing in, you can't hide anything in these beers. It's a very precise brewing process, lagering process, following the fermentation, all of that. And so it's now at festivals and stuff, Ollie's super excited to show his new lager. He wants to show it to everybody. Rich wants to show his Brett co-fermented lager that has, like everybody's proud about their lagers because it's, it's showcasing something else. And so I think people, it's now where people can really show off their technique and their, their process and um, it's crushable. I don't know. Crushable. You don't have to think. There are actually it, a guess. lot
0: of beers labelled with the word "crushable" uh, on the tap lists. It's just really interesting to see. Um, uh, and Alex, you've just brought lager to the uh, festival, yes, right? We
1: just brought lagers. So Katie, have
0: you? Br- you've brought some lagers. You didn't bring any lagers. Okay. Just <laughs> me <moving> on. <laughs> but we're going to talk about we're going to talk about those lagers, uh, Alex. Uh, you said earlier, but can you remind us how much you've lost and Grounded's volume?
1: Its production volume is, is lager, like uh, probably like. Probably like
0: 85%. 85%. And how much of that is Keller Pils?
1: Uh, It's about 70%.
0: So 70% of what you make is your flagship uh, Pilsner. And what kind of beer is Keller Pils? Is it it Bavarian, Franconian? Where does the inspiration Uh, come from that?
1: Yeah, sort of, uh, yeah, more more Bavarian. So the story goes, um, actually... um, well, I was at, actually in Tetanang, and the, the little boat, row, little hippo rowing the boat across the lake is actually Lake Constance in Germany, where it sort of borders on Switzerland and Austria and everything. And um, the the mountains in the background are actually the hop fields of Tetanang, and then uh, I was at this brewery guest house during the hop harvest, and I was on my own, and there's an oompa band playing all the stereotypical kind of German stuff, and um, I don't speak German, and they came out and said something, and I just looked at them, and they was like, oh, Pills and, um what came out was this like beautiful kind of lemony, fresh, unfiltered sort of beer and I thought it was like some epiphany moment. I thought actually, not everything has to be complicated; it can just be like this, you know, So we actually set up the brewery to actually make that, and um, that's the reason why we have the brew house we have, and the lactic acid plant, and why we have the blender malt Ooh. I'm talking with my hands too much, <laughs> and um, it's beer flying everywhere. Because you'll find if you go to most lager brewers, um, they'll probably use about three different pills or malts. So on paper, they all look the same, but they're all like slightly different. So um, it just helps with consistency and with like a bit of a house character. So I,
0: I can't wait to get into that in a, in a few minutes' time. But first, I want to know how much of that volume is sold in your your home of of Bristol.
1: Uh, so we aim to sell about um, about fifty percent of our beer, like an hour radius of Bristol. Mm-hmm because um, beers best kind of close to home. It's easier to control. I mean, I don't, I don't hardly go... I mean, I'm not I'm like the worst salesperson, right? So I, if I go to a place, i will like, oh, shit, I, even you know? I don't even have any cards, you know. I don't even cards today, so if someone asked me for one, I'd be like, don't have one. But um, I think, well, I, I barely go um, see an account in Bristol, let alone an account for their So mm. how are we going to actually manage that and get the message across and everything? So, um, yeah, we, we try and do that. And then actually, in fact... As, um, as we grow a bit more, gives you a really, really solid base. Yeah. And, um, and I think everyone, when you eventually leave, uh, don't want to get too deep on everyone, right? But when you eventually leave whatever this earth is, like, you want to be known for something, I think. And um, ours You want to be known for lager? Well, it's like, I think we want to be known to be a good company. We want to be known to uh, treat people well and pay people well and look after people. But also, it's nice to go, like, you know, we were known for Keller Pils.
0: That's excellent. So. Katie, uh, tell us a bit. We've heard about Kellerpils, uh, Lost and Grounded's flagship beer, but tell us about Petit, which is your, your core lager at uh, White Frontier. What's special about that beer to you?
2: Um, so it's a German, German just straight-up German lager fermented with uh, W3470, with, which is the Weinstefan Okay, lager. Um, we so have...
0: Stefan are the, the oldest, uh, they call themselves the oldest brewery in the world, don't they?
2: Great brewing school there, and lab, and everything. Mm-hmm. So um, it's fermented with that, and it is mostly it's pilsner malt, uh, a bag of Munich, a bag of Cara Pils, mm-hmm. Um Simple, easy. Like it's uh, it's one of our biggest sellers. Crushable. Yes, and it's um, so we do our actually our high volume is in the winter, which is not typical for a brewery, but we are in the mountains in Switzerland, and so a lot of our customers are up in the Alps, so ski ski resorts and whatnot, and when the snow is shit, then everybody drinks, and they drink Petite. So it's been a big year so far.
0: Excellent. Where does the name come from?
2: Petite? Yeah.
0: Um, it's 4.7, so it's not a small yeah. beer.
2: Yeah. Uh, I actually don't know. <laughs> <Like> it, <laughs> it, there's some Belgian joke in there. So our, the owner of the brewery is, is from Belgium, and it has something to do with, you know, it's a big beer, but it's a, so the label is actually like a big guy with an inner tube around it. So not Petite, but so it's a joke on being a big Big and small and I don't yeah.
0: know. Why don't you tell us a little bit, just just, <laughs> just quickly, tell us a little bit about White Frontier because um, uh, you're based in Switzerland, but I feel like like you're not maybe as well, because we're in the UK now, maybe not as well known as Lost and Grounded. So just tell us a little bit about the background and origins of, of White Frontier for us.
2: So White Frontier was founded in 2016 by a man from Belgium and he started contracting, contract brewing in Belgium, bringing the beer into Switzerland and our head brewer is actually Irish, Chris Trainer, who is used to brew at Galway Bay in Ireland. Mm-hmm. And um, we've got a beautiful browcon system. We're in the Alps. We have very soft water. It's perfect for brewing lager. Um, we're kind of an invent- adventure focused brewery, so we have ambassadors who are professional snowboarders and skiers. and so the whole kind of mantra of the brewery is pushing pushing your comfort zone, pushing that frontier of where you're comfortable. And um, all, of these, all of the great adventures and experiences that we have, they all deserve a beer to go with them. So that's kind of our mantra. That's excellent. There's a little
0: bit of, of like commonality between that, 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 that adventure between the two breweries, which is, which is awesome. And you make a couple of other beers as well, a Keller beer and a decoction lager. What's, what's the difference w- between those lagers and your core lager?
2: So the core lager we just do, um, we do a two-step uh, mashing process mm-hmm. with the decoction. We have a decoction step, so it's really, I don't know what it's like on your kit, but I've never done, this is the first time I've done a decoction um, beer is at White Frontier. We have a browcon, con, so portion of the mash is moved to the louder ton, and then you actually sit and you watch The mash boil and bring up to temp and then you move everything, pump everything back over. So we've only, actually in the last year we did three or four different decoction lagers and nobody's interested in drinking them. (laughs) Everybody just drinks petite and um, so Chris and I drink all of the decoction lagers and uh, when we have guests over in the summer to drink them but um, yeah, the difference is mainly the mashing process. So using actual, you're bringing a portion of the mash up to boiling to raise the to go through uh, the temperature. What steps.
0: happens when you boil that por- portion of the mash? Is it a mallard reaction? You're getting mm-hmm. caramelization of sugars and then yep. it adds body to the beer. Yep. So,
2: so the difference in those two recipes, yeah, so because of the maillard reaction, we actually have, for our decoction beers, it's mostly pilsner and a little bit of raw wheat, whereas in the non-decoction, we're adding a bit of Munich for color. Um, so you're, yeah, you're getting the caramelization through the heating, the mashing process.
0: I'm going through a little personal love affair at the moment with Czech-style lagers. And Alex, you've just here... T- you're pouring your first Czech style lager Indeed. today. So um why did you for a brewery that's quite invested in German style lagers, why do you why now? Why are you brewing a Czech style Pilsner?
1: Annie said so <laughs> <laughs> But uh but actually when we're gonna Um th- there's something to be said about um being comfortable in your own skin, I think. And it's sort of like if you start travelling a lot for work and end up like eating dinner on your own, and like when you're a bit younger, you're a bit uncomfortable doing that and actually, as you get older, if you have some confidence, you actually don't give a shit anymore. you just sort of like eat dinner on your own, and you don't really care you know and when we're coming up here, and we thought actually there's this amazing range of brewers brewers here they're going to have every every like color of beer under the rainbow sort of thing. And we thought, well, why don't we actually just do lager? Because let's don't lie to ourselves. Let's don't be something that we're not. Actually, we make 85% lager, so let's just go for it. And um, we chatted to the guys, and we said, okay, well, why don't we make a, a Czech-style pils? So, um, so on that beer, and they're both on right now, so if you actually go out and have a taste, it's like remarkable, the difference. So like, the base malt is the same. Um, other than mashing, all the rest of the process is the same. The, it's different hops in the Czech pills. We use sars instead of um, middle fruit and pearly. Um, but the beers are like sort of miles apart and it's um, it is quite remarkable the difference and that's the fascinating thing about lager is like actually these small kind of things all make um, a big difference at the end you know like it's um, and that's when there's a lot of breweries say oh we're going to make lager or we're making this lager or that lager and sometimes you can think especially in a, in a country with two and a half thousand breweries and everyone's kind of fighting for their own um, their own spot to survive and you can sort of on one hand, think, like, oh, my God, everyone's making lager, holy shit, like, the sky's falling. But um, actually, in fact, to make it, I think, um, to make it well and make it consistent, make it properly, it's actually, like, a full-time endeavor. It's not, like, a part-time endeavor. And it's coming down to, like, how you're managing the yeast and the boiling regime and the mashing regime and the blend of malt and... Um, and all these things together actually make a huge difference, you know. And it's, every single thing is just like a bee's dick of difference, but if you add up all the bee's dicks, it's a big difference in the end. <laughs>
0: <laughs> can I do a quick quick uh, straw poll of the audience? Uh, do I assume you all love lager in, in this room? So put, so, so put your hands up if you like German-style, bohemian-style lagers the best. Oh, and can we go bohemian Czech-style lagers? Oh, I say okay. That's about, that's, that's that's nice because I thought I'm I thought that most people liked Bohemian lagers. I mean, obviously we've got a massive poll sample size for this poll. <laughs>
1: um, it, it's amazing it's, diversity.
0: It, it what but what why I like talking about German and Czech lagers is they're so and I really encourage you to go and try them because they're so different and it's quite fascinating uh, the, the difference in flavours. Let's talk about something. I just had a a couple of Pilsner and uh, down the road. I want to talk about diacetyl. Oh,
1: hang on. Okay, so, we, Everyone needs keller pills, I think, because I see a lot of empty glasses around. Is that. anyone able to, to
0: <laughs> pour... Can I, can I get a volunteer to pour some keller pills? Uh, Thank you. Whey! Oh. <laughs> okay. <laughs> You're doing the Lord's work, Doreen. <laughs> um, it's the D so, word. So I just was in Albert Schloss... Uh, the, uh, the sort of apres-ski style beer hall uh, five minutes walk down the road and I had some Pilsner-Oquel and I was with Brian from Northern Monk and he said I don't know how you can drink that stuff it's full of diacetyl and I'm like but this doesn't taste like what diacetyl tastes like when it manifests in a pale ale it's not buttery it's like caramel sweet it's nice so um, is, is, is the diacetyl in Czech Pilsner and, or is it, is it the way it's presented that makes it acceptable Katie do you want to take this, this or is it just
2: Pilsner-Oquel is it just pilsner or Cubs? No it's all is like it all
0: it? I've just done a tour of small Czech breweries and and they're all doing this double decoction and they definitely have this caramel sweetness which is a little bit of diastol so it's it's uh, it's not just a so <laughs> <laughs> for the record we're recording this there was a sort of shrug and like is it okay to have a little bit of diastol in in I
2: mean if it's to style like they're are... You know, we train so hard on off flavors and sulfur and and diacetyl and whatever, but like sometimes it's acceptable. Mm-hmm. And I think, yeah, with with a lot of the, you know, double dry hopped nonsense where you do get a, a diac spike after um, after dry hopping. Um, I think we're all just in the everybody has this mindset of like, oh my god, it's so terrible, like it's the worst thing ever. But it's acceptable in some places, and and when it's something like check pills, then okay.
1: How do you feel, Alex? Um, as a brewery we're, we're quite against it um, in, in terms of like we're we very very paranoid about it like mm. continually because um, in our style of pills it's like a big fault but um, I do kind of know what you mean actually and in terms of like is it bad or not but actually I think the best thing about certain beers is like um, is it intriguing or not or is it like inviting or not and I think even with keller pills so we all have keller pills now so cheers so, and um, for me, it's like almost like a little bit intriguing because it's a little bit um, like lemony fresh now, especially after the is Like it's like yeah. lemony fresh, and oftentimes, if you were to judge it, because um, we see variations through, through the throughout the year and batch to batch, and I think we ride a line of like almost like it's like you want to ride a line of like almost faulty, but not quite faulty. So it's like, and then the, then it's actually intriguing, then it's actually interesting, then it's actually personalities. So it's a bit like. Um, John Keeling said about uh, you sit down with your mate and you and your mate's this this sort of... This is a giant pint of beer there. You have this... <laughs> your mate and you go like, oh, have you had a haircut today? Or have you lost weight? Have you put on weight? oh You, you seem a bit grumpy. What's wrong, you know? And it's the same thing with your beer. It's like, um, how can you do that? Because we used to say this at Little Creatures. It's like, um, as a brewer, you get so obsessed with making everything perfect that what happens is, if you're not careful, you invent fosters, right? So it's like, how can you actually go through and get obsessed with, like, quality and perfection, but actually don't forget about personality in the process because that's what we all do is, like, we forget about that. So the tendency is, oh, my God, we can afford centrifuges now and we can afford um, this amazing brew house and we afford all these things, but actually forgot that um, in the process, you're like the person that had a midlife crisis and you have a sports car. <laughs> so it's like, you know, so the same thing happens with a beer. So it's... Um, the next thing I'd like to It's talk a to long answer to your question. No, it's a great so. answer. <laughs> um... It's
0: fantastic, and, but the next thing I want to talk about is the the acidification process, uh, because something that's fascinated me—I've uh, been reading Salmon Nosrat's *Salt, Fat, Acid, Heat* at the moment, uh, cookbook, and uh, the way acid interacts with with flavour and how your palate interprets flavour. And I know at Lost and Grounded, Alex, because I've visited many times, you actually have a an acidification tank where you you sour a portion of the wort and blend that back into the beer so where did the idea for that come from and, and what's its purpose
1: um so i always wanted to do that by reading sort of um uh, sort of german textbooks i'm brewing like if you read Kunz or different books and and it was back when i was at little creatures and we made this pills and like it was never very good we only actually ever made it for people that didn't want to drink paleo when they went to the bar so we just kind of made this pills and um Kind of left there, my per- career progressed and then we thought when we're well, going to do this brewery, we, we thought to ourselves, well, why don't we do things the way we, we want to do it? Um, and one of those things with lactic acid plant, because I was speaking to different brewmaster friends in Bavaria and one of them looks like a, um, you know, Charlie and Chocolate Factory. I don't know about the new one, but the old one. Lo- yes. You know, Gustav's Gloof? Like, yes. Yeah. He looks like him, but like <laughs> 35 years old, <laughs> with like rosy cheeks and green overalls. And... Um, and I was t- speaking to him before we built the brewery, and I said, "Stefan, what do you think about this um, lactic acid plant?" And he said, "He said, well, it's a very, very good way to make make um, beer because what you're putting of the beer, what you're putting into the beer is already from the same family and the same social setting. So what you're putting into it is already in the same vibe of what you're making, rather than just dumping acid in from a factory." So we thought about that. and We thought, okay, right. So I got a hold of our Stefan and got the culture. And uh, and we put the lactic acid plant in. And uh, in essence, it's almost like a sourdough culture. So once a week, and sometimes more than once a week, we'll top it up, and we keep it anaerobic, keep it fed, and it just keeps on making acid for us. And um, the current culture has been going since December 20th, um, 2016. So it's almost like it's been, going for, it's been going for over three years now. We just keep on doing that, and um, it likes it really warm. We, we heat it up to, like, 52 degrees and um, just keep it, keeps on making acid. But if you taste it out of the tank, it almost tastes like um, mold cider. So it has this really kind of gentle tart kind of acidity. And a tiny, like, bit of that goes into the beer. But actually what we're doing is every single beer we make, whether it's our Saison or Triple or anything, um, all has, like, this little bit of a, a common DNA through it, you know. And it's – because my philosophy, especially for, like, the brewers, is, like, making beer is one thing, but actually you need to have attention to detail. You need to worry about more than just, like, making beer. Like, what does – because there's a million breweries out there, right? So what is it that makes us special compared to everyone else? And um, what would make you proud to get up to go to work – you know, and that's all those little tiny things we talk about. So when they can kind of look back on their careers and say, well, shit, just like I used to do with Little Creatures pale, that was just like, amazing, like, this integrate process we used to go through to make it. And um, it's sort of like making beer is easy, but, um, and anyone can replicate beer. And given enough money, you can do whatever you want. But actually, in fact, you can't replicate passion, you know? So you can't, so it's a full-time endeavour. That's a wonderful answer. Katie, would you like to talk about
2: what? We just dump an acid, phosphoric acid, from a factory. <laughs> That's it. <laughs> is is there
0: anything in your process? I mean, when it comes to choosing the right malts and choosing the right um, hops for for your pilsners, what what does that process involve? How do you do dial in a recipe for your lagers and make sure it represents your brewery the best way you want it to?
2: <laughs> um. I'm not actually involved in that process too much. To okay. Be honest, I'm more I'm more focused on the cellar and the fermentation. Okay,
0: so let's okay, so, let's talk about that. So, but this this is lager, so that's fascinating because uh, in terms of producing lager, you, cellaring is is quite challenging, right? There's a lot, there's a lot of w- more work involved. Well, it's than a lot of just think. letting
2: the beer sit and do its thing. Like yes, you need to have patience. You need to have space in your production schedule to give it the time to. To condition out to um, like the decoction loggers that we did our our German logger that we produce year round our core range um, petite is generally from grain to glass is five weeks, but the decoction loggers like we never really had a plan with marketing for labels and all that sort of stuff and so they actually got like proper like two three months lagering time. And of course, there's a lot of other factors that affect the taste Yeah, how, with how the decoction. How does the the salt profiles, the the hops, everything? So Chris and I actually sat down and did a tasting of all of our lagers before this panel because I was really nervous about it. <laughs> and um, there's a there's a remark there's a big difference. Like even with you know trying these two beers back, the Keller Pills and the the Cat one um, back to back, like there's a massive difference. And um, but as far as having like a white frontier. Kind of fingerprint on all of our beers. It's probably the the water, like water in German technology, brewing technology. What's so special about
0: the, the water in, in Switzerland? We've like it's well. so
2: soft, like it's perfect Pilsen, mm-hmm. exact Pilsen specs. And what what
0: does soft water? Uh, what's the benefit of using soft water in, in brewing lagers?
2: Um, there's oh come on, science people. I <laughs> I mean salt. You don't have to add anything. You don't have to take anything out. Like it's um, it's that's why Pilsen made great. By Pilsner is great, in Pilsen because they have soft water and no minerals and no hardness. And um, there's probably another great reference out there where you can read all about
0: it. Are there any lager styles? I'm conscious we're nearly out of time. Are there any lager styles, Katie, that you haven't attempted to brew at White Frontier that you'd really like to to have a go at? I just had a Doppelbock recently from North and Thornbridge, and I'm like, oh god, people have got to stop making more Doppelbocks. But of course, no one's going to buy more Doppelbocks except me.
2: But like, is there? Any... I would love to do like a pilsner, like a proper pilsner. Mm. But we're actually not allowed to call in Switzerland. We can't call anything that's not made in in Czech Republic. We can't call it a pilsner. So stuff that comes from Germany, like Gaver, they actually have to white out the pilsner on the label because it's not allowed. It wasn't produced in, yeah. in the Czech Republic. So I don't know if, but nobody wants us to make like we have the German lager, and that's enough. And now Chris and I can't make the stuff we want to drink, but um but yeah i'd like to do like a chuck pills something with a little more bitterness and um yeah play up with the water style that we already have
0: how about you alex are there any lager styles i mean you also do an india india pale lager uh, with with new, with new world hops i don't like that term actually with with american hops yeah. um so, but is there anything outside of what you're not doing already that you'd like to to do
1: uh, I mean, uh, uh, well, uh, like I think you summed it up and it's like, you do these things, but they're so hard to sell. <laughs> it's like, so like I like Dunkle, and I, I'm always like, I was like, let's make a Dunkle, and it's like, fuck no. <laughs> <It's> like, <laughs> it'll be around forever. So you know? I put it out to
0: you, the audience, <laughs> so that, um, that you need to buy more Dunkle.
1: <laughs> but, um, but I think, well, I was just going to say one thing. So I think the thing that people don't appreciate about lager, and this is the one little snippet that I'll give, is like, actually, when you're... Um, the reason why lager is important, and actually the process and the time, is actually it's, it's the same thing as like aging champagne on leaves, right? So what's happening when you're actually maturing the beer and you have a certain combination of yeast count, time and temperature, and that is actually what fills the palate out. And if you go too far, it tastes like Vegemite. If you don't go far enough, it's kind of a bit thin and hollow. So there's a sweet spot somewhere, and I don't know where it is. It's apparently somewhere between uh, four weeks and about three months (laughs) you know but um in practicality purposes we're about four weeks and um that's what people don't appreciate and actually in fact you can taste the difference you know as you go and i I say to everyone there's you make a sandwich and there's white bread so you have warburton's here and you have a beautiful sourdough from another bakery here they're both white bread they both make a bloody sandwich but one tastes really good and one, one is like a utilitarian thing. It makes a sandwich, and it tastes good, and it's fine. You can eat it. But actually, one is actually special. And that's how we try and explain it um, to people. Is like, why should they pay 20% more for pills?
0: I really want a sandwich now. <laughs> no. um, very quickly, before we uh, hand over to the next panel, which is with Ross from Beeronomicon, with uh, Salopian, I believe, in a few minutes, we've got time for a quick question. If anyone does have a question for our panelists... Anything you'd like to ask them while you've got the opportunity, I will come to you with the microphone. Then I think we're done with this lovely Lager Chat. Katie, Alex, thank you so much. Can you give them a round of applause for their time? Weren't they fantastic? Um, Grab yourselves a beer. Ross is on in a few minutes. Um, Enjoy the festival. Thanks, folks. Thanks for tuning in, folks. If you're able to support the content we produce at Pellicle, please consider making a monthly donation via patreon you can sign up by visiting patreon.com forward slash remember to subscribe and if you can please leave us a review in your podcast app of choice as this will help more people find the show until next time i've been your host matthew curtis and you've been listening to the pellicle podcast